welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, this is Joe Boras. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. And with me today is my very, very, very good friend, the delectable Matt Teske, founder, <laughs> CEO of Chargeway, one of the smartest people in the business, and you know, generally, uh, generally good-looking fella. If you're into the whole silver fox thing, how you doing, Matt? Oh wow, you you dropped in delectable and silver fox. I... <laughs> well, I started off thinking like this is clean tech talk, Zachary Shahan has set the bar real high. Scott Cooney has set the bar very high when it comes to like the intellectual level of our guests, guys from sure. ABB, Hitachi, General Motors. And we're just going to ruin that right away. I was going to say, we're just setting the stage for what this conversation will be like. No, I, uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate If you that. don't like it so far, just uh, Zachary will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here to have some very serious and, and important conversations today. And I, number one, I appreciate the invitation to come on of and course. have a conversation. It's uh and I always enjoy chatting with you, obviously, about a variety of topics related to both, obviously, the, you know, the EV world, but beyond and what, what's happening. And people, people know we're friends. You don't have to give it the, the intro. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> there might be some guy from ABB or, or GM or something like, I've never heard of this Matt guy. It's like, oh, that's a fair point. So let's, so let's speak to that. So, Matt, your company, Chargeway, is from a, from a 30,000 foot perspective, it's an EV charging app. If you have an EV, you download the app, it tells you to get chargers. That's like the super oversimplification. But what it actually is, is a new way to visualize electric fuel and a way to simplify the EV charging experience for people who are not necessarily enthusiasts to make charging your EV as simple as getting a tank of gas. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that's really, yeah, that's the idea is really to ask ourselves, how do we make it so that we, we kind of stretch our, you know, spread our wings beyond who we've been talking to for the last 10, 20 years in the EV world and really, you know, bridge the gap to the general public. And the general public doesn't think like a lot of us. I mean, I've been driving EVs for 10 years, but the goal is to say, how do I discuss charging with someone who's never heard about how to do it and have a conversation and provide them an app or a tool that allows them to look at it and say, well, this isn't hard or that didn't make me get scared. You know, that's yeah. the idea. Well, more to more to the point, too, like I think there's uh, and we'll talk about this in a minute because this is what we really want to talk about. There's that behavioral, 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 behavioral. <laughs> we're, we're doing a great job. I know that's so far. Behavioral <laughs> change that comes with EVs where when you have a, an internal combustion car, whether it's gas or diesel or ethanol or whatever it is, the mentality is you drive till you're empty you find a gas station and you fill up. And with an EV, it's not quite that way. And especially with Chargeway, it really makes it simpler where you put in a, a route that your road trip that you're going to take, and it tells you stop here for 10 minutes, stop here for eight minutes. And it gives you the least possible charging time to get to where you need to go. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, I mean, behavioral change is a big, so consumer psychology is at the heart of what all of us are working on in the EV world, right? And it all, a lot of that comes back to what we're talking about what, for how EVs you know, help solve big, a big problem as it relates to climate change and emissions. And a lot of this, those conversations have been so siloed into the world of you know, academics and engineers and environmentalists for so long 
And we need to get that, that idea into the hands of and into the minds of people that are not thinking of it like we do, but help them see how it fits into their life. So they may not be as enthusiastic about these things as maybe we are. Uh, you know, again, I, I consider myself to be obviously an early adopter of EVs, but I care deeply about the environment and what's happening with climate change. But I may not be able to get other people I'm also good friends with or close to to think and to think like me about those topics. But if I can make them feel comfortable about driving an EV, the impact that we have on the planet can potentially still be the same. They may they just, they're just not wired like me, and that's consumer psychology at the end of the day. So. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's so interesting because I, I've recently and I and I mean, like recently, like in the last like probably two, three years, I've come to this idea of like, look, it takes, you know, whatever it is, 40 cars to transport 40 people to work in the morning. It takes whether that's electric cars, internal combustion, it doesn't matter or autonomous cars. Right. It, you're still right. talking about a ton. You're tons and tons and tons of metal and rubber and glass going down the road. And we're not going to save the planet by consuming different stuff. We can slow down the progress. We can improve things by consuming different stuff. But ultimately, what we need to do is stop being a consumer society, start buying things for life, start buying things and keeping them 10, 15 years. And, and to the credit of EVs, they do seem to last quite a long time. There was uh, just yeah. this last week, there was a, a Tesla that went across a million miles a million miles yeah and then the guys at test loop have had their cars at five hundred thousand miles fred lambert over at electrek i think his tesla his personal tesla has over two hundred thousand miles on it so i mean these cars do last and those are two hundred thousand miles that are being driven without a single piece of carbon emission coming out of a tailpipe right well so what you're yeah what we're talking about really is the disposable economy and how Consumers in the United States, especially in the United States, have kind of been groomed to think and, and be comfortable with the idea of like, well, I'll just replace that constantly. And, yeah. and part of it is, too, is again, like you, you talk to your parents about it, like, oh, yeah, like back in the day, they built dining tables that lasted. That's made of mahogany, you know, and they'd pass it down to another generation or, or a washing machine that worked for 25 years and then you replace it. You know, oh, I mean, we have that the truth. Yeah. And, and now we're in a place where, you know, we have, you know, every couple of years replacing iPhones every during the year, we're replacing or buying numerous pairs of shoes that we don't necessarily need, but it's, these are vanity purchases. And again, it's not that no one's, no one's doing anything wrong in the sense of like, they're bad people for doing that, but we've created a culture by which we have just normalized stuff for stuff's sake. And yeah. it, it's like busy shopping. And I think that when you then take that and you expand it out into not just personal items, but then into larger purchases that then what, what are the impacts of those and how long do those things last? This gets down even to just, you know, leasing a combustion engine vehicle for a two-year lease, <laughs> you know, because I want a new one every two or three years, that kind of thing. It's like, you could also buy an EV and it lasts, as we we're discussing earlier, it lasts longer by sake of the fact that it has to be removing parts. And we've, and we've in, the, in the bubble, we've talked about this for so long. And by the bubble, I mean the EV world, it's just what is the communication that's going to translate that to the average person? And then again, is about consumer psychology, helping them see things differently, right? But do you think that it's something that's going to change? I mean, even if you look at the most progressive, I want to say the most progressive societies, but that's not quite the right word. Even if you look at like the most left-leaning socialistic countries in Europe that you know often get idealized by people in the environmental space, you know? They're still buying 
you know, hundreds of thousands of new cars and freshly manufactured sure. cars every year. They're still getting iPhones every year or two. So, I mean, it is still oh, a it's problem. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. I mean, with the exception of like, you know, I just came back from Wisconsin where we were surrounded by like Mennonites and Amish and they, <laughs> they seem to be doing okay by, you know, avoiding that. But, yeah. you know, the reality is that society's chugging along. Those people are doing just fine. They're living healthy lives. They're not starving. I'm not sure that I'm ready to go full Amish, but like maybe a new car every 10 years instead of every five. I think I could do that. Well, it's, it's the keeping up with the Joneses thing that, that has in advertising and how it gets, it's, it's inundating people with like, you need, you need to want, you need to want, you need to have, you need to have kind of thing. And we've just been doing it for decades. We have, we have, I mean, we have generations, you know, not just in America, but just elsewhere. It's like, well, that's what you do. You just consume. Yeah. And, and boy, are we good at it. You know, we are so good at it. And the comment that always comes along with it. And I say this with love because one of my favorite people on earth told me this one time and it just kind of blew my mind. She said, you know, well, I figure, you know, if it's broken, I can always get another one. And it's like, no, you can't. Yeah. You really yeah. can't. <laughs> yeah. It may, yeah. It may not be the case or no. I mean, it, it's just how do, so how do we get away from it? I think what, I think the thing that's going to probably curb it, honestly, and we, we kind of saw it with the EV, you know, not EV world, but even the car world in the last year or so is things like a chip shortage. It creates yeah. scarcity. It creates scarcity. And then what happens? Well, the problem is then the price goes up. You know, and then so if it's something like a car and so we've seen a window into how, you know, there are certain things that can impact consumerism, you know, even right now it's we, we cannot perpetually consume right, you know, and I, I think about this all the time where I talk to friends and, and we, we went to a friend's house today and we, we just happened to just walk through their entryway. And, and after the fact, when, when my wife and I left, we just chatted about it to each other. We're like, did you see how much just stuff they had? Yeah. And. And it's, and I think it's almost like you don't notice it's happening, but how many people do you know that don't have a garage that they can put their car in because it's just full of stuff and how much of this stuff is actually necessary? And, the answer oh, is, and how many people have storage units to store the stuff that they don't need anymore? That they don't they use? make, they make TV shows out of the fact that people ha have so much stuff that they forget about it. And they've forgotten, they yeah. have forgotten about the stuff that they pay to store. Yeah. yeah. And like you look at that and you look at this economy that's been created around selling, selling, selling. I mean, if you're a car salesman and you sell somebody a car, you're immediately, you know, hey, you know, you put it into your Excel or whatever. And two years later, you're calling them again a year later. Hey, how's that yeah. treating you? You ready for the new one? We got the new one right here. Your lease is coming up. You know, and, and I've been a part of that life for, sure. for many years. So, well, so I, have I, I mean, and, yeah, we all I have. Mean, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I, you know, I ran a marketing and branding agency for 12 years. I mean, that's, we helped get stuff sold, you know, that's what we did. And, but interestingly enough, that's I, applying that experience to what I'm doing now with Chargeway in the EV world. And really with the intent, I mean, I founded Chargeway with the intent of wanting to apply that, you know, that knowledge base of, you know, helping tell stories to get people to, you know, buy into something for, for a greater, for a greater cause. That was really the, the reason for founding Chargeway was to say, how do I take what I know how to do and apply it to something that will have a better impact, not just stuff for stuff's sake, but okay. If people are buying stuff, how do I help ensure that when they're getting something, it's not just going to be something that will add to this chaos we're talking about. It actually will have a lesser impact. I mean, cause again, building a car, whether it's an EV or a gas car still requires tons of resources, but if you look at the math for both from a life cycle, you know, ex, you know, uh, angle, 
yeah, EVs have a lesser impact. And well, so and to me, it, that's it's fun. interesting too, because, you know, Volvo did that really great study and, and you, you know, I'm a big Volvo freak. So I read everything they put. Wait, out. are you Volvo Joe? I'm the I Volvo Joe. <laughs> Keeping up with the Joneses, please. The, like the, the Joneses. They don't even have a Volvo. Those guys suck. But <laughs> Good Lord. Good Lord. No, I, they have a karma, which I, I <laughs> you're like i don't even know what to do with this car no like i want to make fun of you for buying this thing but like i guess it's okay it's a nice hey car. man it's fine they're nice you sit you sit down on one you go Ooh. anyway it's you were fine. saying volvo did a study <laughs> so volvo did a study that said that their evs initially produce more carbon emissions than a new internal combustion car but after forty thousand miles it flips over where the the emissions that you're saving from the EV actually overtake it. But here's the interesting part, the fine print that they didn't get into too much was the second generation because 100% of the lithium, of the cobalt, of the manganese, of all that stuff that's in the EV, they can get 100% of it and yep. recycle it. Yep. Where it's a closed loop. That, closed car- yeah, closed carbon loop. The yeah. closed carbon loop, right. So the second car that's made with that bat with those same lithium and cobalt and different metals keeps reducing that down yeah. right it doesn't need forty thousand miles it needs twenty thousand and the right. third one is like ten thousand and the one after that, and it keeps kind of having itself mm-hmm. until it's like well this is just greener like this is just better yeah. well and again and it's going to take i mean my dad was in town for you know over the weekend for father you know for father's day i got to see him and and yeah. he's an he's an engineer i mean and and you know, I'm a very right brain guy. He's a very left brain guy, but you know, he's one of the first people I, I used to sit and have conversations with about, you know, with, you know, how do we help do a better job in the world of energy and EVs and, and automotive rather. And, and again, his, his background is energy management within, you know, the, like the mining industry, you know? So he's, he's all about talking about this stuff, but the reality is we've done such a good job of creating the economy and the, and the ecosystems we have today that it is, the progress is happening to chip away at changing those things, but it's, it's like turning the Titanic to avoid the iceberg. And it's going to take a lot of effort and, and unfortunately time and time's not what we have. No, I mean, we definitely do not have, it's 101 degrees today in June in Chicago. See, that's again, yesterday here in Portland, where I'm based, it was 63 degrees next Sunday. It's going to be 93 degrees a 30 degree swing. It has been one of the coolest and rainiest springs, early summers we've had in Portland in, in years, in absolute years. Last year, we basically didn't get rain. And this year it's been, oh my gosh, what a difference. And, but we're about to see that nice hard swing in, in seven days. And this is our new normal, which is abnormal, which is this just constant, like what's going on? Why is it 101 in Chicago in late June? Why is it 111 in the Southeast? Because this heat dome is happening. And then you start going around the world. You look at, you know, for those who are paying attention. Oh, India. In. Look at India. It was 150 oh degrees. Bangladesh, massive flooding. Two million people displaced. Two million. That, uh, these are things that the, the climate scientists that were saying, hey, this is going to happen 25 you know, years ago, 30 years ago, et cetera. Hey, guess what? We're starting to see the beginnings of it. And it's not going to be this slow ramp up. It's going to get worse. And that's the part that is yeah. so, how do you tell people that have been consuming with a thought that the resources were endless and by people, I mean, we're talking billions. Oh yeah. I mean, how do we convince the globe that this is not something we can continue to do? It's unsustainable. And again, it's, it is about psychology in so many ways of getting people to understand. We're not asking you to give up the life you've known forever. We're asking you to 
understand that we all have a role in this. And it's, there's no good messaging around it. And frankly, there's a lot of messaging that's designed to keep people from thinking about it because if people actually stopped and really thought about it, I think a lot of people would be very concerned. I, really I think do. a lot of people would be pretty upset by it. And, and I, I think that there's like, I don't know, I, I want to kind of be philosophical here and, and, and kind of be smart and know that people are listening to this. But on the other hand, I also kind of want to say like, I, I disagree. Like, I, I don't think that there's a sense that like, you know, we can keep doing it this way and, and just make smarter choices. Like we, we need to change things, you know, like we need oh, to, yeah. we need to start like, you know, the 15 minute city thing. We need to start looking at, okay, maybe we do get on mopeds and electric scooters and e-bikes and stuff instead of, a, of an electric car. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's easy for me to say that in Chicago where we have a very robust public transportation yeah. system. But if you look at Southern California or South oh, Florida man. or Texas, yeah. where where whatever infrastructure was there was purchased in the 1950s and systematically dismantled for the purpose of selling more cars. Oh, completely. Yeah. You that know, was, I mean, California's a definite. I mean, California had a trolley system. LA had a trolley system. Yeah. They had all that stuff. And yeah, all of a sudden, poof, it vanished. Now, this is where, you know, you get into the politics of it, too, of like, well, you know, Who's making these decisions and why are these decisions being made the way that they are? And I, I still find it to be just in, amazingly comical how much people, in, especially in the U.S., don't fundamentally understand like how much we subsidize fossil fuels and how that gives how oh, yeah. you know, up, in, up until recently people were like, oh, my gosh, gas is so expensive. It's like it's always been expensive everywhere else. We just have had very cheap and easy to use energy yeah. for the last 100 years that we've just exploited the heck out of. And now we're reaping what we've sown. And the problem is all through that process, average people were just like, well, this is just my life. I'm not, I'm just living my life as a consumer. I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. But then you start looking into how much people in the energy sector knew, like, if we keep doing this, this is going to get bad. We, and they, they've, there's too many documents out there and documentaries that have been made now about how the fossil fuel industry has known for a long time. This is not sustainable. And even right now, what we're seeing with the gouging at gas pumps, there's, I can't recall the name of the YouTube video I watched today that was really well done about what, what is causing this. And the, and the reality is the fossil fuel industry is basically accepting that their fate is here. And now they're like, okay, we're just going to basically squeeze every penny we can out of this until it's just no more. Right. And that's a sick thing to think of when you're like, yeah, but every time people keep doing this, not only are you screwing them from a financial perspective, you're screwing the planet. And you're incentivized. But they don't care. But they don't they, care. Of they're, course, they don't care. Yeah. N- number one, they fundamentally don't care. They're yeah. either they're either in denial or just they feel like their their individual wealth or their situation is sustainable. Like, yeah, we might lose millions of people in Bangladesh, but like, I I mean, I, I can just like hear this is not my words as Joe, but this is just like what I can hear these people saying. Yeah, but there's a billion Indians. What's a million here, a million there. That's how these people think. Oh, yeah, it's sick. It's you really know, sad. It, it is. It is sick. And I think that that's kind of what you're up against. You're up against people who just they don't care about you they don't care about me they don't care about the planet maybe they don't care about their kids even they just they just kind of understand that they'll have enough wealth to ride it out well and i think partly t- it, 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 it makes me think of mike tyson you know everybody's got a plan 
everybody's yes. got a plan until you get punched in the face, you know? And, and so honestly, what you're saying is we need to deal with these, <laughs> the, the oil companies with significantly more violence. Well, I mean, my, 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 my punch in the face comment was not so much our <laughs> doing it person to person, but more so I think what's going to happen is I think they all think they've got a pretty damn good plan. And then mother nature and what's happening around the world is it's like, you don't understand you guys, it, again, it makes it, again, we're talking about the George Carlin special it makes you think of George Carlin and the one comment he made, he's like, he's like, the earth is just going to shake us off like fleas. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. And it's like, and again, that's the thing of it is, is the planet will live on. There's oh yeah. Reason, there's a reason why there have been mass extinctions of other creatures that didn't make it. And we are now the current iteration of what's happened in, on this planet. There's a reason why we don't have dinosaurs roaming the earth, right? Because iterations have changed. And it's like, yeah, that's the thing is we're an iteration of, of biodiversity on this planet right now. And it doesn't mean we're here for freaking ever. Yeah. And the people that have had power for a long time and, and have everything at their fingertips, what feels like material wealth and, and, and access and, and control over a lot, they feel basically like they can't be touched. And in the end of the day, well, yeah, when the planet decides to rear its head and say, no, you're not only going to be touched, you're going to be squashed. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much money you've got. No, it doesn't. And and you know, it, it comes back to this sense of like, and and this is now we're really getting off the deep end. It comes back <laughs> to a sense of connection, right? Like if you understand that you are connected to the person next door to you, and sure. they are connected to the person across town, and they are connected to the person five states away, and they are connected to the person on the other side of the earth. If you understand that interconnective or interconnectivity of things mm. it's very easy to look at things and go man this is bad we need to do something but if you yeah. feel like you're an individual or you feel like you're an island and you don't have that sense of connection and significant amounts of wealth will do that to you mm. it will make sure. you feel like you're different from the other people or at least removed from other people it, it's really hard to understand that you're wrong. It's hard to understand that the reason you're having avocado toast today yeah. is because of a kid that's making 14 cents a week in Guatemala pulling those avocados off a tree. Oh, yeah. Well, you know? well and it's funny, as you're describing it, it's, it's like somebody listening that is it's from a different generation. It's like, did, did Joe just sit down and watch like Butterfly Effect and then Avatar like right in a row? <laughs> oh, like, is, God. is that what he did? The but two no. worst movies of the last 25 years. <laughs> I got to give it to Ashton, though, man. He really, and Ethan Suppley in Butterfly Effect. I mean, that's really, okay. <laughs> wow. I, that's like a that? deep cut. Uh, but, but okay. But in, in, in fairness to what you were explaining, because it's very important, the individualism we have, we have cultivated in the U.S. about individual freedoms and, and stand on your own and, and you get what you get kind yeah, of thing. No, no step on snake. Yes, no step on sneak. <laughs> um, but, but that aspect of it has created, again, a culture of, are you, I mean, you're describing it well, just like if you, if you have that individualism as part of your core identity, and then you also, for all intents and purposes, don't know what, you know, you don't know what oppression actually looks like, you know? No. Like, yeah. You think that somebody else saying happy Hanukkah is oppressing oppression. your Christian beliefs. Yeah. Give me a freaking break. Well, right. It's like, that's, that's not, that's not, this bad. is a family what? show. Yeah, this is a family show. But what's bad is when what real oppression is, is when it's going to be, you know, hey, you you physically aren't going to be able to go outside with your kids or your elderly parents because it's so hot in Georgia or it's so hot in Texas 
or it's so hot in Portland or it's so hot in Ottawa. And, and again, that, and I just, just I, again, I just list off a bunch of cities that are not geographically close to one another, but each of them has faced a heat dome or some sort of heat event in the last year or two yeah. where people have had to go, this is, wow, this sucks. Yeah. And, and, and it goes like, both ways too. I mean, you, those areas that you're describing have also experienced polar vortexes and yep. record cold and record storms. We had a tornado in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. No, I mean, I watched the videos of people walking out their balconies and listening to the tornado sirens, filming it going, what the heck? Like, yeah, what, you know? what is this noise that I'm yeah. hearing? And I think that, so what the Mike Tyson thing of, yeah, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face is the punching in the face is happening right now. Yeah. And more and more people are going to experience these issues globally. And I think that, you know, I mean, a good example, even here in, in, in the United States is Frank Luntz, who's a conservative communicator, consultant. If you're in politics, you, you know who he is. He's one of the people that helped craft the narrative around climate change and creating, you know, basically a narrative that would create skepticism. That the, that the platform is used by a major political party to basically sow skepticism. Right. He, he lives in California and fires hit in California in his neighborhood and every home was lost and the firefighters were able to save his. And it was this like awakening moment for him of, oh my God, like this is real. And so he went and, you know, met with Congress and said like, hey, I'm going to, I'm here to help tell you, like, you need to be thinking and speaking about things in this, in this fashion. And the thing that's going to happen is that punch in the face moment is more people that have been on those, the, the side of, yeah, this is BS, right? I can just say whatever I want. It's not going to impact yeah. me really. It's going to, it's going to impact them. But that's the fundamental nature of conservatism, isn't it? Like the, the idea, it's a failure of a, like the entire political philosophy is based on a failure of imagination where you basically look at the world and say like, Nah, I don't think it's a problem. I mean, what's the, the woman's name that was so famous on The View where she said, you know, I used to think that these women who wanted maternal leave or, you know, maternity leave were just lazy. But now that I've had a child, I realize that it's a real thing. And you so yeah, as soon as it happens to you, you realize that it's a real thing. But like there's this like weird solipsism. There's an inability to think of the other humans as having a valid experience. And it's yeah. only a valid experience when it happens to you. So a million people dying in a flood in Bangladesh, another hundred thousand people dying in a heat wave. Eh, well, you know, what does that mean? But as soon as it's like, you know, as soon as it's them, who's like hiding out in the basement, cause it's too hot to go upstairs. Well, then, they're gonna, then they're going to yeah. think it's real. Until you're punched in the face, you, you until you're care. punched in the face, right? Yeah, no, it, it really is that, and and it really is that. We'll we'll title it that instead of instead of a picture of you, we'll have a picture of Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, we had <laughs> we had Mike Tyson on, you know. <laughs> no, but it, it it really is, and, it's, and the other thing is difficult too is, is there's a lot of people that are very well intentioned, hardworking that are in the fields of engineering and, and you know the environment and even in policy that that are trying. They are I mean yeah. they're trying their best. Well and speaking to you know like I, I don't want people to just kind of say like well Matt's just kind of being you know generous here. So it with Chargeway, Matt is working with a number of municipalities on the state and local level yeah. who are trying to implement change, who are trying to make electrification happen. I know you're working with Austin Energy in Texas. You're working with the state of Michigan. You're working with Salt River Project in Arizona, and you're doing a lot of good work. So when you hear someone like Matt say, there are people doing this, this isn't just like throwing your hands up in the air and going, look, there's good guys out there. Listen to the helpers. Like you actually know these people. These people are actually doing it. 
and not only there, but you know, you, you have friends in the automotive world who are trying to make that happen. Well, yeah. And, and, and the thing of it is, it gets back to the whole turning the Titanic thing. Some of these companies that we are, we need them because they're so influential when it comes to impacting consumer life that you need them on, on the same page as what these efforts are from you know, energy companies or from policymakers or from environmental groups, et cetera. And, but I've, I've spoken with many people that, that they are, again, well-intentioned and trying, but sometimes they get into these larger companies that you know, they need to change and they're like, oh boy, yeah, there's going to be a lot of effort to make this happen. This is going to happen in a year or two. This is going to take, again, the time aspect. And then you ask yourselves, do you have time? And in many ways, we don't. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of an optimist than I am a pessimist in this, in this way, but I'm also trying to be a realist in the sense of saying, we're not going to avoid certain things. Some yeah. things are going to happen that are not going to be easy to manage when it comes to climate change, especially. And I'm just doing everything I can to help people that are working their butts off to make it change faster is help them understand how do we reach more people faster? And this gets back to our consumer psychology discussion is if we, we have to meet people where they are, if we know they're already not, not on the same page with us as in a variety of other ways, then let's try to speak with them in a way that will, will reach them faster. Yeah. Well, and don't you think Ford is doing a really good job with that, with their marketing for the Lightning and the Mach-E? Like in, in all the press, in all the publication I've seen for the Lightning, which is by every, it, by every conceivable standard, the Lightning has been a huge success for Ford, right? Yeah. From a PR perspective, from a sales perspective. But there is not one word of environmentalism in their message. It's all about this is a better truck. This is a better vehicle. And I think yeah. that speaks to what you're saying about, you know, consumer psychology. They are meeting their customers where they're at. And instead of trying to preach to them about the importance of what they're doing, they're saying, you know, yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. We're just not really going to worry about it. We're just trying to build the best truck we can. Trademark yeah. Ford Motor Company 2021. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's something I've been telling people for the last, you know, again, I, I've been you know, talking to and working with people in the EV world exclusively for about seven years now. And again, prior to that, it was within the world of automotive, you know, and that's the big part of it is, is what are you saying and how are you communicating? And yeah, I think Ford is in a good job of what they did is they said, well, let's, let's take a product we know sells really well and let's put our, the weight of our confidence behind it and also make it technologically functional and hand it to people in a, in, in a way to say, this is an iteration of what you've always loved. And it's not unfamiliar. It actually is familiar. It's just better, it's you know, better. And, yeah. and, and, and they've done a pretty good job of, of telling that story. I think to a certain extent, there are many things they have glossed over because frankly, there are things they don't have answers for yet. And they've had to do their best to create the best story, you know, from a PR perspective. They, they still do have hurdles that are in front of them. But yeah. I think moreover, you, you can just say it's a charging network. Well, Jesus, yeah, I, I don't subscribe. Ford, to, Ford doesn't advertise in Clean Technica. You could just say they don't have a charging network. It's fine. Uh, yeah, I personally don't subscribe to the idea of telling people you have the, quote, blue oval network and trying to, and again, people that don't know what they don't know are going to say, oh my gosh, like my mother called me and said, Ford has the biggest charging network in America. And I said, no, they don't. They have a press release, yeah. you know? And, but I mean, and, by that logic, Visa and MasterCard have the biggest payment network in the country because that's basically what ford blue oval is right it's a payment plan well it's well no but it's physical infrastructure that you have to engage with and, and to market it as being something that you have is kind of like yeah. come, you know again it's it's we're getting in the weeds we're getting in the weeds but the point of it all is is at the end of the if it just gets back to consumer psychology my mom heard that and was like oh gosh they have the biggest charging network in america and i'd say no they don't they are just putting a collection of networks together 
so you can see them all as one and they're calling it one. But in reality, when you engage with it, it's not going to say blue oval. It's not going to say forward. It's going to say semiconnect. It's, well, now it's not even going to say semiconnect. Now it's going to say blink because they bought semiconnect. But it's going to say, you know, Electrify America. It's going to say green lots, which is now Shell Recharge. I mean, so these are all, yeah, gosh, I'm like, I'm, it's going to say Shell. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hearing myself just going like, oh boy. You know, but these are things that, you know, consumers have a reason to be skeptical because frankly, to date, the EV world has been very messy. And if you've wanted to play in it and live in it, and, and if you've tried to fall in love with it, you've had to really want to fall in love with it. And that's something that is, it has to be, it has to be remedied. And I think that, and it's, and it really, again, the vehicles are coming. We have great cars that are coming and that are out now and more will come, but yeah, the experience of filling it up and charging it, that cannot continue to be this pat, this patchwork chaos that people have to figure out. That's yeah. not going to, that's not going to fly with the mass market. So one company that has done this really, really well, that other companies would be very smart to emulate has been Tesla, right? I mean, we Who's don't, te- 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 yeah. te- Tesla. Well, they're like a small company. I know, uh, you know, when we were talking about who was the real leaders in the EV space earlier this year. Uh, are, they a start, know, are they a startup? Is they're that, like a is startup. That? Yeah, they've been around for, you know, 14, 15 years. Uh, <laughs> Sarcasm. There you no, go. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I like to think they would have known. But like, I think that for, for better or for worse, Tesla has kind of become the standard bearer of EVs. Yeah. And with their CEO seemingly being difficult these days. I, well, again, let's let's remove Elon from. I mean, it's hard to, but let's remove Elon from. Well, the but the, but this is my question. This is my question. My question is: at, up until now, we wouldn't be having this conversation about electric cars if it wasn't for Tesla. Correct. Na- nationally, internationally, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So major props to tesla and elon musk for for pushing that forward but do you think at this point that it's too difficult for the average consumer to separate musk from tesla and that it's going to overall hurt evs i don't well no i don't think it's going to overall hurt evs because what most people say is they'll say things like i'm interested in evs but i don't want to test because i think i don't like elon i mean that's what's happening is they're saying like, yeah i'd rather that's fair I'm not, yeah i'm already seeing that so i don't think it's i don't think it's gonna hurt evs overall i think it's hurting tesla overall I, but then what's going to happen is, candidly, I mean, my wife and I have owned multiple EVs, Tesla and non-Tesla, and consumers are going to say, well, I don't like Elon, so I'm not buying a Tesla because I think he's, I, I don't subscribe to what he's saying, or I don't agree with him, or whatever the reason is, and they'll buy another EV that's not a Tesla, and then to your point, Tesla's the standard bearer in a lot of ways, and one of the biggest ways is charging, and it, they might fall in love with a non-Tesla EV, but then the experience they have of driving it like every car they've ever known might end up being difficult, and that's something that we can't just casually overlook or say, well, if we just build more chargers, that'll fix the problem. Uh, No, because no one's managing the chargers, you know, whereas Tesla manages their chargers. I mean, these are, these are very fundamental things to the customer experience that the, the automotive world has never had to manage that level of the ecosystem. So comprehensively, they've just built, they've just built the car and said, go find the gas with those other companies because we don't own them. Right. And then I think this idea of, you know, you look at the the latest what was it called the nevi initiative or whatever where yeah. they're going to put 50,000 chargers in the ground that's all well and good but if 12,000 of them aren't working at any given time who are you really helping well that's the problem is you have i mean again and these are all very the people that are working in dot and doe i i know many of them i've talked to you know the, the team at dot about their plans for this 
And again, well-intentioned. They're saying, hey, every 50 miles, it's got to be a minimum of four chargers, less than a quarter mile off the road, near amenities that has, you know, that can charge at least four vehicles up to 150 kilowatt apiece, level six if you're in chargeway. <laughs> but all right because level not all level three is created equal that's a whole that, different conversation that's a whole different conversation but but the the, the the way they've framed it makes sense what concerns me frankly is and we've we're already seeing this without the nevi dollars is giving the money is the money the federal dollars being handed over to the state dot's that's the, that's the plan and each of these 50 dot's from the states have to say here's our plan for how we're going to roll this out are all of these DOTs in a position where they they fundamentally understand the customer experience solution they're building? I don't see, I don't think so. No, no, no. And I mean, you'll have very few of those guys that are actual EV customers who understand what the pain of a consumer is. And yeah. of that very small sliver, the likelihood is that most of them have Teslas and have never considered how hard it might be for someone with a leaf or a bolt to find good charging. There's potential for that for sure, because Tesla's market footprint is is still massive. Yeah. I think that the other issue we're going to run into is that you have these state DOTs are going to say, well, we have to we have to write a plan to, to give back to federal government and say, here's what we're going to do. We don't really have a sense of the best strategy for rollout of infrastructure in this fashion for making sure the chargers are doing what they're requiring. So who should we talk to? Let's talk to the you know private charging networks and their sales teams and lobbyists about what should we oh. be building? And then the problem is you have then you have a model by which it may not be serving the, the driver best. It may be serving that network best for their profit motive. And yay, it's American capitalism. That's all fine and good. But if the driver's on the receiving end of a bad experience for fueling up a car, how are we going to convince people to switch from gasoline to electricity if the experience is not well managed? And it's all just been, oh, we threw about a bunch of money out there and we were hoping to God that would solve the problem. But there was no, there was no big, bigger picture plan of how does this yeah. serve the consumer yeah, we're in big trouble. That concerns me a lot. It really does. Um, no, and it should. And I think, you know, ultimately the answer is we all ride bicycles. <laughs> well, again, this is where, again, if you're in an urban city center and especially like in Chicago, as you mentioned, is a good example. You know, New York, obviously a great example for, you know, subway and metro systems. But then you really think about where those systems, like what, where those systems were born and how and when they were born. And we are so far behind other countries. If, if you travel internationally and you go to Japan or you go to Europe and you use their train systems, it blows your mind. How oh, yeah. Amazing, how amazing they are. No, and, you come back here and you're like, wow, we're about 50 to 60 years behind everybody else. Without a doubt. And, and yeah. that's the part where you then have to have that conversation with people that are, you know, the other friends of yours from around the country and people that represent those people. Yeah. But if you've never traveled, if you have heard and, and, and guys come and find me, I'll take you to Europe and I'll show you. <laughs> if you have been taught your entire life that America is the greatest country in the world and that we are the richest country in the world and we are the most advanced country in the world and New York is the greatest city in the world. <laughs> and then you get dropped in Tokyo or Singapore or London, you're in for a very rude awakening, dude, <laughs> because like the darkest, dankest slums of Dubai are still nicer than most of New York. No, like two thirds of Miami is a ghetto. Well, that's yeah, we are we are we are trapped in a post World War II era mindset for how we will advance this country in, yeah. when it comes to when it comes to infrastructure and technology. And yeah, we everybody's like too scared to make a, a bold, courageous decision from um, an elected leadership position. And we see it constantly. And what's yeah. worse is, is 
it's the infighting that happens amongst, you know, even just people here in America around like what we should be doing, you know, for like the betterment of America. And it's like, leave, you know, leave it alone. It's not broke. Don't fix it. It's like, no, but it's 60 years old. And it is kind of, it's, it, it is, is breaking. so broke. It is yeah. so broke. There are bridges. There are bridges here in Chicago that I won't drive under because they look so sketchy. And like, Ooh, I just, yeah, maybe I'm I mean, not going to be the guy underneath it, but maybe I am. <laughs> Well, how many, I mean, how many telltale signs if we have a problem, like, especially domestically here in North America, and well, North America, in the United States, where, you know, something has happened, it's like, we should address that, like, when that bridge collapsed in Minnesota years ago, it, you know, killing people, where, I mean, it's just, it was just like, wow, like, that was a big bridge, and it had been oh, there for a long time, yeah, but I, it, I believe but it was Minnesota. I believe, instead but. of, instead of, you know, fixing the infrastructure, what we do is we make a Mothman conspiracy about it put it yeah. on YouTube and get 45 million views. Cause that's what matters. Yeah. That's the problem is we have a lot of content out there that when you, and, and the EV and the EV industry is, is just as guilty of this, right? Oh we, yeah. How, how much content is out there for EVs that is, I, I would tell people don't look at that. No. So what, <laughs> have, so what have we actually concluded? What we've actually concluded is that capitalism is bad. We should enact massive censorship of <laughs> bad ideas and everybody should, throw away their car and ride their local <laughs> municipal transportation. We're if, doing if a had, great you, job. Yeah, I was gonna, this is why you and I are not elected leaders. Uh, this is why you and I are not elected leaders. No, if, Absolutely. If, if, if I was to conclude anything, I think one of the things is just, is, you know, there, you know, we, we have number one is, is, you know, climate change, whether you want to say it's quote real or not, doesn't matter. It's going to, it's going to find you, you know, and yeah, on top, exactly. on top, on top of that, the the technological advancements that we do have at our disposal that could be transforming how we live and operate in the United States and the world in general is is just it's just sitting there waiting for us to take advantage of it. It yes. just is. And and there's this is where it gets down to communication and consumer psychology is people are scared of the unknown unless it's unless it's positioned to them in such a way they can envision how amazing it is for them. And not not like the idea of like you know people say butts and seats, get them to go drive an Nissan Leaf and they'll buy an EV. My response is, no, they won't. They won't do that. You know, but if you get them to drive a, a, you know, a Tesla Model S Plaid, they'll realize the amazing opportunity of EVs, but then they might go buy a lesser EV because no one can afford that car. You right. Know, you know what I mean? it, it's like, exactly. You know, my favorite is Bob Lutz said, we don't build Dodge Vipers to sell Dodge Vipers. We build Dodge Vipers to sell Dodge Neons. Yeah. I mean, hero cars are still a thing. That's a, oh, that's yeah. a reality. And, and the hero car forever for the, the EV world was basically, yeah, the Nissan Leaf, you know, and, and prior to that, it was, you know, things like the EV1, which, which frankly, you know, if G, I look at GM still and I'm like, man, how far ahead could they be if they just stuck with it? How far how, ahead? I mean, yeah, it's such a, we're, We'll do this and we'll do another one of these. And we'll yeah, we'll do, we'll, we'll do one on that. That'll be yeah. the topic. How far ahead would GM be if they had just stuck with it? Because like, oh, so much. Matt. The con- yeah, yeah. the conclusion is, is not going to be solved in a, in a podcast, but I think. The, wait, the, wait, we- wait. We're not going to save the world with a podcast? Well, I mean, there's something. Isn't there a podcast called Saving the World or something? Like <laughs> pod, pod Save America. Pods, yeah, that's right. No, but I. I <laughs> that's I think, how you like to end every podcast is advertising promoting, another podcast. Promoting another podcast. <laughs> well, if you come, if you come back next time, we will talk about Clean Technica Save America. Yeah, that sounds racist. All right. Well, listen. That was honest. <laughs>
Good Lord. What I'm saying is we've got answers we should, and, and solutions. We should we've use. got answers. We've got, we got to find some problems for these solutions is what's happening. But, <laughs> oh man, it gets so far. Matt, thank you so much for doing this clean technica thing. I know Matt and I also do the uh, Electrify Expo, Electrify News podcast. And, uh, you know, we've done a lot of stuff together with Chargeway and we're, we're going to continue to do stuff together. You can meet the two of us. We're both going to be in Seattle next, uh, next, next month, month, right? Yeah, yeah four, it's going to be a party. Now. It's going to be good. We're going to be there with a whole bunch of EVs and EV people, and it's going to be good stuff. Uh, obviously, you're listening to this probably on Spotify or Apple or SoundCloud. Be sure to subscribe to that. And check out Matt's stuff on Chargeway and also follow Matt on Twitter. He did a 9,000-mile road trip last year in his Tesla, and he charted the whole thing and logged the whole thing on Twitter. It was a really neat thing if you were a part of that and following along. And how do people who want to hear more about what you're doing follow you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you definitely follow Chargeway on, on social media. It's just at Chargeway for everything. And obviously for myself, I'm Mr. Exit. It's it's my last name backwards. <laughs> and so yeah, everybody e- right now is going, what is his last name? Yeah. yeah. And it's M-R-E-K-S-E-T. But yeah, yeah again, give me a follow. I, I want to talk to everybody and anybody I can about all the things we talked about today, whether it's industry for EV, whether it's climate, whether it's environment, you name it. I think that these conversations are really important. Yeah, we should all, be having them all, all the, the really depressing stuff you people send me, you should send to Matt. I don't want to <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. over it. I take enough Xanax. I'm done. <laughs> all right. <guys>. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you.